Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people evolving business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. Hey everybody, this is Vesna Luca and you are listening to the Corporate Unplugged podcast. On the show today, Christopher Ivat, a business philosopher and entrepreneur from New Zealand. And today we'll talk about transformational change. Christopher, welcome to my podcast. I'm so grateful that our paths have crossed. I'm delighted to be here with you. I'm really looking forward to this discussion we're going to have or sharing. I'd love to start with hearing a little bit about your journey. What insights and what understandings you've gained that have taken you to where you are today? I'm from New Zealand, as you mentioned, and I'm from the South Island. So I'm close to the Antarctic. So my upbringing was in a, I would call it now, a conscious family. And my father managed a company. And it was from that upbringing that I observed that my father was under a lot of tension, simply because the directors of the company were really wanting to use it for their own gain to the detriment of the company. And this caused my father huge stress. And eventually he died of a heart attack very soon after his retirement. So I was very much aware of that as a child. And I thought to myself, there must be a better way of running a business or an enterprise. So that was one crucial learning in my life. It left an indelible impression on me. And then my parents brought us up with various mottos, if you like. One of the mottos was simply to leave everybody and everything better than when you found it. So that has also guided me uh, in my business career. And the other motto was always work for the good of the whole. In other words, the whole system or the whole company, not just for your own self-interest. So those were two or three profound learnings uh, right at the start. So that set me on a track then to explore how business could be run. Uh, so I went into business and setting up my own companies after graduating and doing my studies simply to learn more as an exploration. And that meant setting up different types of business models and different types of industries, basically for my own learning. Sure, they had to make money in order to be able to continue to operate. But the fundamental motivation here was, what can I learn that I can make better than what was before? So that's been my journey. And here I am now married to a, a lovely lady from Finland and with two children from my marriage to her and three children from my first marriage. So we are, I would say, a conscious family applying what I've just shared with you with our own family members. So all of us are pursuing careers or pursuits that can help mankind. I have one son who's an architect and he's working with regenerative architecture, another son who's a beekeeper and working with nature, a daughter that's working with functional medicine and nutrition, a son that's an author who's now writing a book and producing a film series on what does it mean to be a human in the full sense of the word, and so on. So that's been the family journey. So as a very quick answer to your question, that's been my path to date. And how do you see now the world and the transformational changes taking place? Well, as we all know, and we are all experiencing it both at an individual level and also a collective human level on the planet, and also the planet itself, 
there was a tremendous change taking place and a realization of what is dysfunctional. So that's a wake-up call. And then we're now moving into saying to ourselves, okay, I'm now I've woken up and I can see the dysfunctions that I'm causing or the collective body of humanity is causing. So what do I do about it? So it's a switch from being driven by external role models and requirements by society that we behave and think and act in a particular way. And we are now questioning those and saying, what do I believe in? What do I stand for? What's important for me and my family and my future? And coming into a place of own accountability and responsibility. So there's this huge shift away from just following the status quo and what we're told into questioning and coming up with our own truth. So that's happening at very much at individual level. And what we're also seeing now is very clearly, almost daily now, the dysfunctions that we have collectively created. Over 80% of the people working in companies in Europe and in uh, America are emotionally disengaged with their work. So it simply means that they're going through the motions that are required to keep their jobs but are not able and not willing to actually do much more than that because they're not emotionally involved. They may be physically there, mentally there, but not in spirit or in terms of creativity and taking initiative and all those other requirements that are necessary for a healthy organization. So I see that as a huge crisis in the whole field of organizations, this disengagement. And not only the employees, but also about 60% or more of managers are exactly the same. And I'm just quoting a Deloitte survey there that goes back about 24 months. So why do you think that is? That's a very profound question, actually. And the only response I can give to you on that one is that we are receiving on planet an unprecedented amount of energy now coming in, photon energy. Now, we need photon energy, of course, for life on the planet. So we're seeing a huge insurge of that energy, which is not necessarily only coming from the sun, but it also appears to be coming from what they call the central sun. So I'm just quoting what the science is now saying. And certainly we in Finland see tremendous auroras of light now coming through, even in the south where we live which was unheard of earlier. So I think that extra energy that we are receiving is activating our consciousness. It's also activating anything that's physical. So we're seeing earth changes happening around us. So that, for me, is the prime cause. It's an increase or an amplification in the energy that the planet is receiving. But how does that translate into disengagement of people? People are looking at their careers and saying, does this job really fit me as a person? Because what we are required to do if we work for an organization is to push our own agendas into the background. In other words, what is my life's calling? What are my values? All of that tends to become at a lower level in priority. So it's a denial of ourselves in order to be able to fit in 
to the company and adapt to its culture and keep to its norms, values, what its purpose is, etc. But at the same time, ignoring your own. And I think there comes a point in time, and it particularly happened with COVID when we had lockdowns, people sat back and thought, does this really fit me? Does this appeal to me and resonate deeply with me so that I want to be fully involved with what I'm doing? So there's a huge questioning about purpose, the reason why I'm doing it. Is it just for the money? Is it for the status? Or is there something deeper within me that's calling me? So I think that's the prime reason for this emotional disengagement. When we talk about, you know, raising consciousness or being aware of, I mean, I'm thinking just like, how would you even define that consciousness? Because I feel like we are all part of that consciousness. It's all of us have it within us and around us. But whether we tap into it and are aware of it, it's another question. So it's not like some people are more conscious than others and they need to kind of, you know, get with it. It's like we're all in it, but we just need to kind of put on our right kind of glasses on in order to perceive everything that is in us and around us. That's how I see it. And I, I would certainly go along with that. Just as a case, if you like, that highlights this, I went up to Lapland years ago and I, of course I could see the white snow and of course the name I had for it was snow and it was white and that was it. Now, when I talked to the locals, because I was there for a little while on holiday, they said, we have 22 names for snow. Now, what that meant is because they were so involved with the surroundings and the snow, they could identify 22 different types of snow. They were far more conscious than I was because they were giving their attention to that particular aspect of their environment. Whereas I, as an outsider, came in and thought, oh, I can see snow, but they could see far, far more because they were so interested in the phenomenon of snow and whether it's wet snow or dry snow, etc. So it's a question of choice. Do we want to see more than what we've seen before? Do we want to wake up and question our own views of the world? Or is that too much trouble and too difficult that we have to think and question and really question ourselves and our own beliefs and say, okay, there's more to life than what I see through my limited viewpoint and what is out there that I can see more of. So it's really a choice that we can make and we're all faced with that choice. I know that you believe in raising our consciousness, inner leadership and personal development, that that's really essential. Why is that? Because what we create in the world is a direct reflection of what we within ourselves believe or what our attitudes are or what our perception is. So if we're operating from a limited perception and we're operating, say, from various judgments we have about things, then that is what we perpetuate. We continue to find in our environment what we, in our limited perception, see. So in order to be able to grow and evolve, and I use the word evolve intentionally because I think that's an inborn requirement for all of us as humans, is to evolve, to become more of what we can become and grow into our potential. So it's essential then, if we're going to do that, or the other choice is to remain stuck as we are and live with the dysfunctions that we may be creating for ourselves, or we can grow beyond those dysfunctions and see, okay, what are the causes? 
what can I do about it? What can I become more aware of inside of me that can create a more beneficial world around me, both in my personal life, my work life, and the society? So it's a waking up process. So personal development, inner leadership, being responsible for our own emotions, our thoughts, being master of those is absolutely crucially important if we are going to grow as people. It doesn't come from the outside. The outside world is really a mirror reflection to us. It's a feedback mechanism telling us what is dysfunctional or functional within us. So we can learn from that. It's a, a mechanism to learn from and then make internal corrections so that our behaviors change or our attitudes change. And as a result of that, we get different feedback from the world around us. Yeah, and when you talk about mirroring and, and the feedback from the world around us, I'm thinking about the different generations and how important it is that we bridge those around us. Because very often, for example, in Sweden and elsewhere, people are not maybe so integrated cross-generational as they are maybe down south, for example, in Europe. So you don't get that natural kind of bridging between generations. You're absolutely right. This bridging of generations is so important because when we do have the bridge, we're bridging, let's say, a younger generation with an older generation. What I find is that the younger generation bring in their questions to question what is happening, wanting to know why. They want to know the causes of what is happening. And this is very good for the older generation because then they have to reflect on those questions and say, well, how is this relevant for us and what we're doing? Can we improve in some way what we're doing? And then the older generation can bring in their wisdom. And they can say, okay, from our perspective, looking at things historically over the last 20, 30, whatever years or longer, this is what has been occurring. This is what we see. So now we can marry the wisdom of the elders with the spontaneity and the insights that the younger ones have and bring those together so that we are bringing two different worlds together to create something better. And with the younger ones, what a lot of the older ones don't realize, and I'm working with both generations at the same time. My son and I work with the younger generation and we bridge together with the older generations. And what the older ones don't realize is that the younger ones want flexibility of time. So they want to be able to come to work and fit it in with their own personal schedules. And they also want flexibility of location. Now, the older ones don't necessarily think in that way. You come to the office, you sit down, you do your work from nine till five, whatever it happens to be, and then you go home. Now, life is not really structured that way. For example, I used to find that the very best business ideas that I would have would occur when I was on holiday lying under a palm on a beach in, say, Fiji, when I was doing absolutely nothing. So I was very productive in coming up with innovative ideas when I was at total rest as opposed to busy working in my office. So yeah, different spaces and different timings are very important. And in my own company, just over 20 years ago now in New Zealand, my policy was that anybody could come and go from work whenever they pleased, so long as the work got done, because I wasn't paying them to be there, I was paying them for their output or their productivity. 
things had to be done by a certain time. And if they couldn't do it, they should arrange someone else in the office to do it. So they didn't have to come to me and say, I want time off because I have to go to a funeral or I have to be at my grandmother's place for something. Whatever it is, that's entirely over to them so long as the work got done. And it worked very well that way. We had people working on Sunday because they liked the peace and quiet of Sunday and then they didn't come to work on Monday and Tuesday. But that was totally irrelevant so long as the work got done the right quality at the right time. And they could work at home if they wished. So all this was very innovative in New Zealand at that time. I just took it as a, a normal thing that fitted people very well. But it's a matter of bridging these two bodies of thinking and attitudes, the older ones and the younger ones, to be able to come up with the new that's needed for our own companies to evolve and for ourselves to evolve. What do you think is needed for business to survive and thrive? First of all, it's the, we talked about it earlier on, about the tapping into higher levels of awareness or higher levels of consciousness. So we need to see, and this is part of the big transition, is moving from the illusion of separateness, which we've had, and all the dysfunctions that causes with competition and wars and disputes, etc., etc., into an understanding or a quantum understanding, and this comes out of quantum physics, that all is energy and all energy is interconnected. So everything affects everything else. And we see this very clearly with the observer effect in the quantum world where the observer, just merely having an observer of something, will change whether something is a, a wave or a particle, for example. So this raising of the consciousness and this awareness of our interconnection, both with planet and one another, and also within ourselves, to all the different aspects of ourselves, going from our spirit, our minds, our emotions, our thoughts, and our physical being, working with that wholeness is absolutely essential for us to go ahead and progress as humanity. And for a business to survive, what is essential again is to realize that it's not just a separate organization. Legally, it may be, but that, in a sense, is an illusion. It's actually a network of stakeholders, and every one of those stakeholders can be absolutely essential for the survival and the thriving of that particular organization. So it's seeing things from a whole system's point of view and seeing the dynamic connections between the parts that enable an organization to survive and thrive. Now, that means that the leader, we are all leaders actually within an organization. No matter who we are, we are leading. We may have one person, uh, a leader, but in actual fact, it's all of us individually, is how well we can connect and therefore relate in a meaningful way that produces value for both parties. That is essential. Because if we're only producing value for ourselves, then the other party has no reason to connect with us or to relate to us. They will willingly relate to us if we are working with them to provide value for them as well as ourselves. So the whole thinking of only our own interest is a very limited short-term thinking and quickly ends up with the dysfunction of the organization and ultimately it simply closing its doors. So the organizations that will thrive 
are the ones that gain the most support from their stakeholders. And that's only possible if we're co-creating shared value with those stakeholders. And that's suppliers and customers, the environment, the society, et cetera, et cetera. So it requires a very holistic form of leadership as opposed to I'm just running or leading this company. Everybody has to be involved in that type of thinking and behavior. So that's what's required. Is this something that you've lived by, so to say, in your own companies that you built up over the years? Yeah, absolutely. And it really goes back to what I said about my upbringing and those things that my mother and father brought to our attention and saying, always work for the good of the whole. And secondly, always leave everybody and everything better than when you found them. So that was a default program, if you like, that was sort of wired into me at an early age. And I naturally carried that on into business. Today, you are very much also mentoring leaders. So if you could give uh, one piece of advice to leaders who are listening to this now, what would it be? Number one for any leader, and this applies to not only so-called leaders who may be heading up organizations, but each of us are a leader. So it's the same advice for any individual as it is for a leader, is to go within and look at yourself and question yourself. Why do I do what I do? And how am I causing the results or the effects that are happening around me? It could be in relationships or with the people within an organization, if you're running an organization. So this deep inner questioning, and that means being not busy because you're not going to come up with the insights and the answers if you're frantically working. So it means taking time off and just being perfectly still. And meditation is, of course, a great tool to help us there, but it's this quiet reflection is number one. Number two is to say, okay, this is the reality that I'm now experiencing. What is the grander reality that I'd like to experience where I could be expressing more of myself, bringing myself fully, body, mind, heart, and soul into what I'm doing in my life? And one of the big questions around that is saying, how can I be contributing to a grander outcome, not just for me, but for the people around me? Could be your spouse and helping, supporting your spouse to grow, to become all they can be. And that, I believe, is a fundamental underpinning of all relationships, actually, both with uh, dear ones who are close, our children and society is how can I support everybody that I come into relationship to be a grander version of themselves. Now, the effect of that on us is that we become more inspired. We connect more with our spirit, if you like, where our inspiration comes from when we're working for a grander purpose, grander than self-interest. So that would be point number two. And number three, is to say, how can I, first of all, be aware of and delete the limitations that I currently have, whether they be judgments, attitudes, thoughts about people? How can I clear my whole energy system, my mind and my emotional feels from all of those beliefs that I had and be totally open to what is so that I can then make wise choices of the direction or the steps that I want to take or not want to take. So in other words, you grow in wisdom by doing those particular practices. And that's 
what we've been doing as a family. I do that for my mental leaders in doing that so they can come up with their own insights and understanding. And I'd like to add a prefix on that. There was a study done by a former director of McKinsey, and he went up to see how well the clients of McKinsey had applied the recommendations that McKinsey had made. And he was astounded to realize that many of the recommendations, or even most of them, weren't implemented. So he resigned from the company and set up his own consulting company and said, from now on in, I will support my clients to come up with their own solutions. And I'll guide them and assist them and I'll question them so they can come up with the answers that they own, that they are therefore willing to implement because they have created those solutions or answers themselves. And certainly this is the way that I largely operate with the people that I mentor and support them in finding those inner truths and understanding. And do you also run some companies right now or are you more focused on the mentoring part? I'm focused primarily, number one, on the mentoring and working with my son with him on his work in Bridging Generations and also co-creating with him courses that we can put online that share some of the things that you and I have been talking about. And one of those, the most recent one, which we have just completed and about to launch, is simply create the life and the work and the world you love. Simply. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, oh, wow, is that so simple? (laughs) Yeah, we can overcomplicate things and not, as you say, if we're truly connected to this consciousness and the kind of inner voice as well that we have, sometimes things are becoming much easier. Well, they do. And there's two key words here. One is to find what you love, because whatever you love embraces all of you, you know, at all levels, you know, mentally and emotionally and inspirationally, etc. So if you find what you love to do, what skill that you have or abilities, capacities, what you love to be doing, and then ask yourself, what is the value that I love to create from using those particular capacities? So what's the valuable outcome I'd love to see? And I intuitively recognized this with my first mentoring client in New Zealand many years ago, and it turned out that he loved playing sport. And I asked him, what do you love to achieve with sport? And it was nothing about winning goals or becoming the best. He said, it's all about how people can develop their capabilities and their character as a result of sport. Now, That was the beginning of his journey, which ended up transforming a declining city in New Zealand that was really steadily in decline into the world's most livable city and the world's most sustainable city, as awarded by the UN and one other international body, because all the citizens became involved in co-creating that city that they wanted, all starting from that one man. So the leverage The impact of this is absolutely phenomenal. So what would you say is then the most important thing right now for companies to focus on? I think it goes back to what we talked about before, is to no longer see themselves as a separate legal entity, which they are, but to see themselves as a community, almost like a tribe. I used the word network before, a network of stakeholders, and they're all in business together. And they've all got to do well together. And if your stakeholders aren't well, you as a company are not going to be well. 
So that is the number one thing for a company to realize, not only the leader, but everybody within the company. They are there to work with, co-create with, and support and produce value that is beneficial both to the company and also to the stakeholder. They do that quite naturally, of course, for the shareholders, because largely that's all been about focusing on the bottom line and maximizing that. So that's well understood. They do it pretty well with the customers because if they don't do it well with the customers, they don't get the business. They're now waking up over the last 10 to 20 years to do it well with the internal stakeholders, the staff. So there's a gradual waking up process going on. And now they have to work with all their stakeholders, including the natural environment. And if they take that whole systems approach, then they're far more likely to thrive and not only survive, but do really well as a result of that. Yeah. I agree. But Christopher, just back to you as a person, what would you say is your passion? You know, that thing that you've always been willing to suffer for if needed. Ah, that's a very good question. I've lived passionately and I still do. I wake up enthusiastic every morning to see how I can create something better than what is. And it could be a course that I'm working on. It could be a, a mentoring program I'm running for a particular leader. How can I make this even better, not just for my sake, but for the sake of the people that I'm working with. And in my way, it's my contribution to a better world uh, by doing that. So that's my passion. It always has been, actually. I wasn't quite aware of it, but it was an internal energy that's running like a, a little dynamo that keeps me up. And the beauty of recognizing that is that there is not, no such thing as a failure. Uh, there's only learning experiences, things that don't work. And I say, that's great. Let's get on to the next version and see if I can make that better than last time. That's my driver. The other indicator of whether we are on the right track or not, either with our thoughts or behaviors or, or decisions, is does this serve life? Does this help life move ahead in some way? And does it give me joy? Now, if it gives you joy, that resonates with your higher self, with your whole self, with your spirit, if you'd like. So that's the radar that I use in making any decisions. And I pass that on to the people I'm mentoring. I say, in any decision, does this support life of the organization, the life of the people? And does it give you joy? Does it trigger within you that feeling of joy, that uplift of energy? And what would you say are the what I call transformational points in life that have uh, influenced you the most? Maybe you can mention one. The big one was in my uh, late 20s, early 30s. I'd achieved a lot at that time. I had two companies going and, and uh, a very fine house and, and what have you, and I was married. But for some reason, I felt a deep dissatisfaction with myself. I had all the things materially that are usually held up as being what you should be aiming to get. But I had them, but there was a soul dissatisfaction with that. So I left all that behind and started off again with nothing and slept on people's couches and decided, okay, this is point zero. So where do I go from here to create a life that I'm proud of, that can support my family and do something really worthwhile in the world, even more than what I was doing earlier? And that took 24 months to set up a new business with no capital. I had a staff of about 30, I think, at the time. And away we went. And that was simply to help families to do better financially. 
because there was no training at school on how to do that. There was no university course on how to do that. There was just a total vacuum on how people can do better financially. Not that I knew all the answers, but I was able to share what I did know and uh, build up a very successful business because of it. But I wanted a deeper feeling that I was doing more in the world than what I was doing before. And this is really listening to my inner calling. And I didn't know what direction that calling was taking me. And I became very, very aware that my thoughts and my feelings were creating the reality. So sometimes I fell into depression when I thought I didn't like this. So I made a choice not to be depressed. And the way I moved out of that was simply to imagine all the funny things that had happened in my life. And my energy started to come up and I could go to sleep that night. But it was seeing the problem, acknowledging I was at point zero and that I wanted to create something which was more beautiful and more fulfilling and more rewarding in every sense than what I had. And I realized the more I thought of that and gave my attention to that, the faster it was going to occur. Whereas if I dragged back into my state of zero, I was pulled out of that. So I realized my thoughts and my feelings and my attention is absolutely critical in terms of creating the reality that I wanted. And it applies to all of us. So I absolutely avoid as much as I possibly can ever having a negative thought or judgment about anybody, accepting people just the way they are, not that I may like their behavior, but just seeing it for what it is without putting labels on it. So my mind and my spirit is free to be able to create something better in my life than what I may be facing at that moment. But these are sort of life tools. And in inner leadership, that's what we train. Alexander and I train people on how to develop those tools and understandings. I'm thinking about the power of somebody's calling, calling it a vision or a dream or whatever. But I was thinking the power of being able to kind of articulate in pretty much detailed way, the more color, the more details, the better. The future you would like to see maybe in five, 10, whatever years, how does it look like there? Who's there? What's happening? Well, you put your finger on it, Vesa, because we are creators. Fundamentally, each of us are a creator. And to be conscious and aware of that is very empowering because it makes us the masters of our lives and our situations as opposed to the victim. And I just give you a case with my wife and I in New Zealand, and she'd come to live with me, and it was a rainy Sunday, and we'd heard something about vision boards, you know, putting on a, a large piece of cardboard exactly what you'd love to create. And so for the fun of it, we both took scissors and paste and clipped things from magazines, anything that caught our eye. We didn't do it seriously at all. And we put down all the things like tripling my income, new house, new car, trips overseas, sailing on a, a mega multi-million dollar yacht, all the sort of frivolous stuff that you get from magazines. We just put it all down. And, oh, you know, we thought we'd better be serious. And we put down the Dalai Lama. You know, we'd like to meet him. And uh, the sun came out. So we, I just put it away on my dressing table. And within a short time, it had fallen under the dressing table. And a year later, I pulled it up and I was going to burn it, but I stopped before I burnt it and realized 
everything on that piece of cardboard had actually occurred. We were managing the uh, round-the-world Whitbread race stopover in New Zealand and were able to sail on their multi-billion-dollar yacht. Everything had occurred. The income had gone up exactly threefold. We met with the Dalai Lama because we were on a committee to bring him to New Zealand, etc., etc. So I was deeply shocked at that manifestation because it required no effort, no thought other than us pasting it on a piece of cardboard and forgetting about it, actually gathered dust. I didn't think about it for a whole year at all until I came to burn it. So there was something very, very profound happening there that was almost beyond my understanding. But now that I understand a little bit more about quantum reality and understand that we are 99.999% energy, not particles, not matter, then you ask yourself, or I ask myself, what is this non-matter that is me? And of course, it's the quantum reality which is us. So in a sense, we've only manifested a very small part of ourselves into this physical being. So there's another 99.99% intelligence there, maybe in the quantum field, which is the field of all possibilities, that we can tap into. And maybe that piece of cardboard with the pictures on it was somehow doing that. I don't fully have the explanation, but that's what happened. So did you continue with your vision boards after that? I was scared to death. <laughs> I was profoundly shocked, actually by that situation of the power of thought and the power of intention. So Christopher, my last question to you is this one then, uh, a tiny little question. What does the world need most at this time? Well, it needs a shift. And this applies to us individually and collectively. It needs a shift from this whole illusion of separation. And we've Throughout our discussion, this has come up to do with companies and organizations, et cetera, et cetera. But it applies as a whole, all of humanity and also the planet. It's just one system. And we are an integral part of the planet and that's part of us and how all of this comes together. And to show the deepest respect we can for each part of humanity, irrespective of whatever race or gender, it makes no difference. We're all part of one system, and it's a living system. And the thoughts and feelings that I may have about one member or one aspect of that global community, including the earth, is going to affect it. I'll give you a very simple case here at home. We moved into this house about 20 years ago, just over, and there was an apple tree in the garden, which was probably about 50 or 80 years old. And the apples were the size of golf balls with black spots. You wouldn't want to eat them. But every day when I did the lawn, I just simply touched the tree and said, I know you'll do well. I love you. And that's all I did. And I continued to do that as I passed the tree. I was grateful for the tree being just what it was. And now those apples are as big as cricket balls, which is the size of your hand. They're red, no black spots. And we have about 120 liters of apple juice every year to last us over the winter. So that was one change. In other words, just a thought and a feeling towards, towards a tree. And then I share another little case too, which sort of highlights the same point, how we impact everything with our mind and our feelings, is that one day Alexandra and I were at our place in the countryside 
and the, it was just about ready to rain. I think it was drizzling. Alexander was seven, and he was looking very miserable. And I said, what's wrong? He said, well, it's going to rain, Dad. And I said, do you want it to? And he said, no, of course not. I said, would you like the sun to come out? And he said, oh, yes. And I said, well, let's make it come out then. And so I made up just for the fun of it. I said, take your finger, your forefinger, and pretend it's golden. And I'll do the same, and we'll draw a big circle around where the clouds are, where the sun is not shining through, but where we'd like it to shine through, and see what happens. 20 minutes later, the sun shone through exactly where we made the large circle. Now, I couldn't go to Alexander and say, well, I just made all this up. So I said, oh, you've done very well, Alexander. You're very good at this. <laughs> so he and I can both do this, and we've taught one other fellow, a friend of mine, a photographer who photographs lighthouses and needs the sun to shine on the lighthouse. So he does the same thing. You're one of the very few people I've shared that with, but I just mention these two examples just to highlight the power of human intention and attitudes and beliefs towards one another and our thoughts and how powerful they are. Beautiful. And what do we say to people who might think like, okay, maybe there's something special about Chris and his family or, or, or so. I can't do that. I'll try that uh, in the afternoon. The sun is shining in Milano, so I don't have to. But as soon as it doesn't, I'll try that golden finger. I don't know how much it had to do with the golden finger but or whether it was just the clear intent. But with any of these things, the main thing is not to be judgmental about what is and say the word, I can't do it, just to say, well, that's a particular phenomenon. I can try it as an experiment with good intention, with full intention as an experiment and see what happens. But if we judge it and say, well, I may not be able to do it, it could be too difficult, et cetera, et cetera. All that does is limit your ability to be able to do it. And I like to mention one other thing here, because you mentioned I'm from New Zealand, and I am, but there is a particular type of attitude that comes from New Zealand. And I realize that I also share it, and that nothing is impossible. Because we're so isolated, we don't have any limits around us. It's just ocean. So, for example, you know, there was a mountain climber. He had climbed all the big mountains in New Zealand, and he said, well, where else can I go? Well, maybe Tibet. And he said, oh, what's the biggest one there? Oh, Tibet. Oh, that hasn't been climbed before. Okay, I'll climb that one. And so he did. And then you had a, a couple of fellows in uh, quite close to my city in the early 1900s who said, well, we'd like to be able to fly. And they built an airplane at the same time as the Wright brothers. And they flew. That airplane, I think, is in a museum at the moment in Auckland. Another man of the south of the South Island, he said, I'm going to make the fastest motorbike in the world. And he did in his garage because we don't see limits. And, and what I've found in particularly, or now I'm in Europe, is that things are very set. You pursue a particular path and there's sort of standards around that path that you've got to keep to. You've got to get your degree or qualifications or certificates or whatever it is. And you, you have that for the rest of your life. Now, in New Zealand, it's not like that much at all. It can be, but people can move around. They may say, well, I've tried a career as being a nurse. Now I want to do something else. So there's much more flexibility there. Thank you for being on the show, Christopher. Thanks for sharing everything. How was it to be on the podcast? Well, I really enjoy talking with you. It's not so much about the podcast as such, but having the conversation about things that, for me, I don't necessarily get the opportunity to share other than with my wife and my family. 
So it's a great privilege, if you like, for me to have this opportunity to share these thoughts with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the show. To find out more, you will find links and show notes on corporateunplugged.com. To make it easier for you to find and listen to this show again, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And please share this episode with one person you know would benefit from hearing it. Please rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed it. I'm Vesna Luca, and you have been listening to Corporate Unplugged. Until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao.